Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad to see you this morning and so many joining with us. We've got a full house over at the multi-purpose room, so this is a great day uh, to have us all back. And uh, so again, where are we? We're in Lent. It's a different season. Most of the Christian calendar is ordinary time, but this is something different, a time of repentance, a time of preparation. Uh, It's a season in which uh, we might choose to take something on, take something on, some new spiritual discipline, or maybe to give something up. Twitter would say, what's the number one thing we give up during Lent as Americans in a poll? What's the number one thing we give up? Chocolate. Exactly. That's number one. Uh, I think number, number five is, yeah, swearing. So that's good. Give that up. That's good. And then when you learn that, quit doing it. Uh, number three is actually social media. I can't believe Twitter didn't ban that, but the number three thing to give up during Lent is social media. Number 17 is Lent. And if you give up Lent, that kind of means you're practicing Lent uh, by giving something up. But that's number 17. Homework, students don't try this. Homework is on the list. You cannot go to your teachers and say, sorry, practicing Lent, not doing homework for 40 days. A couple other things that, that people have shared. Selfies. I think this is a great one. It's at the bottom of the list, and I'm not complaining about it. Complaint. What would 40 days, and it's longer than 40 days, but what would 40 days look like if I didn't complain during that season? So as we go through this this critical season in the church calendar, and we say 40 days, it's not really 40 days. The reminder in the Methodist church is, and other traditions, it's 40 days plus Sundays. And so Sundays really are days of grace. And that's going to be the heart of where we're going over these weeks together as we look towards the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Easter Sunday, even in Lent, ought to be a day of vibrancy and joy. So if you want to break your fast, I'm not telling you to, but if you want to eat some chocolate on a Sunday, you won't have any complaint from this pastor. You will have a complaint from this pastor if you decide, well, it's Sunday, I can go back to cussing or complaining. You can't break that fast. But the other things you can because Sunday should be different. Why? Because Christ was raised on that day. And that's where we're going to be going. If, if you keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15, I'm really only going to be pulling out of verse 3 and 4 this morning, but I'd encourage every Sunday morning before you come, just read 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be doing that, doing that looking at that chapter throughout all of Lent. Because last year, we asked ourselves, why did Jesus have to die? And, and I didn't have enough time in those six Sundays to even fully begin to cover that. But why did Jesus have to die? But what we're going to be doing in this season, why do you have to raise? Because if you look at our book of worship, our book of worship says that it's not just the cross that is the focus of Lent, but we are, we're resurrection people. We're looking toward, toward the empty tomb. Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? There'll be some people you're going to read, if you get on social media, it says, it doesn't matter where he, whether he rose or not. He died for you, and that's enough. He was just simply some political martyr, and that should spur you on in your faith. You're going to read some websites, Christian so-called websites, that are going to say, Jesus didn't have to raise bodily. That he, he rose in their hearts. And that encouraged them for the fight they had ahead of them. Or even worse, that really the resurrection accounts, even with the 500, that was just simply a group hallucination. 
And what we're going to find in 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul is saying the cross is the heart of Christ. The cross is the center of scriptures, the crucified one. But listen, if there isn't resurrection, we're in trouble. There has to be the resurrected Christ. And so that's what we'll be doing as we walk through 1 Corinthians 15. And really, just, just to look at a couple of things this morning. To first look at the glory of Christ in in verse 3, but also in verse 4, you get this phrase, according to the Scriptures. That Jesus died according to what all the Scriptures had said, he died. According to what all the Scriptures had said, and we'll talk more about that, about resurrection next week and what those Old Testament Scriptures say. But according to those scriptures, he died, which is a reminder to us again that the word of God is trustworthy, but the one who is the word of God is trustworthy. Because it's not just the scripture saying there will be resurrection. Jesus himself, on at least three occasions, he had said, you destroy this temple and in three days it will be rebuilt. So you can't miss his life here. His life is is a life in which we can trust. If the word says it's going to be true, it's not a probability it will be true. It'll happen. I took an apologetics course in college. And somebody just took eight random messianic prophecies about Jesus. Now, some would even say Jesus fulfilled 300 in his public ministry. But he just took eight. And he looked at the probability of those eight things happening. Born in Bethlehem, uh, numbered among transgressors, just took eight. You know, the probability of just eight of those things happening is one times 10 to the 17th power. For one person to, first he's got to be born here, but then he's got to do these seven other things, one times 10 to the 17th. Now, I'm a liberal arts major. I don't know math, but that sounds big, and that's eight out of 300, plus the other prophecies of of his return. It's not a probability. It's a certainty. If the word says it about Jesus, it will happen. If Jesus said something about himself, it will happen. And you you watch his life, and his whole life is the word. You watch his words. Read the Gospel of John, same as the Holy Spirit. They speak what the Father says. Their lives, their words, always are of the word. And you can bank on it. I can't remember if I've shared this with you before. I won't share it again. But I, I just keep remembering this story of a paratrooper his first time out and they had trained him well but they reviewed everything while he was on his first jump they reviewed everything when you jump out count to 10 take your time count to 10 when you get to 10 pull the first cord if there's a problem with the first cord go ahead find the second cord pull that and when you get down to the ground we'll have a truck waiting on you there to pick you up takes a deep breath he jumps out slowly does what they said to do, counts to 10, pulls the cord like they said to do, nothing happens. So he immediately finds the second cord, pulls that, nothing happens. And the first thing that crossed his mind on the way down is, you know, when I smash that ground, I bet the truck won't even be there. So (laughs) they had said those things would happen, they didn't. If Jesus said it, if Scripture said it, now listen, there's going to be places in our life where we're going to doubt that. 
We're either the the devil's going to get in our ear, we'll get in our own ear, our friends will get in our own ear, and doubt what Scripture says about how to live and how to respond to Jesus. If it is in the Scriptures, we see it in his life, we can bank on it. So much so when we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, I've done the homework on the New American Standard, I've done the homework on the NIV. You don't find that phrase anywhere else in all the Scripture, according to the Scriptures. Where do you find it? Right here. Just like the scripture said he would die, he did die for you. And just like the scripture said he would be raised, he was raised. Um, Whatever the scriptures say, that will happen. You can trust Jesus and you can trust his word. So then, what's our response then to his word? First is simply this. That's to trust his word. The disciples had been told at least three times. At least three times about resurrection. The disciples were versed in the Old Testament. And what did they do when Jesus died? They did not go sit by the tomb and set their iPhone or their watch for three days from that moment waiting for him to get up. They didn't. They didn't. Now we'll talk next week about the mystery of resurrection, but they didn't bank on that. And he had said it plainly. And so the reminder, the reminder comes to us that we have to trust whatever he says because it's, it's not only true, but he's always dotted every I and crossed every T. You and I might live in a world like that paratrooper. We don't trust well because people stretch the truth. You can bank on what Jesus says. I, I was thinking about seeing pictures of so many of y'all sledding and doing all kinds of things this week. I was reminded of, a, of a, uh, a, a story that Martin Case told me about his first time. He's a pastor I worked with for six years. His, his first time to do a funeral when he was appointed to the Baltimore Conference. And the first funeral he did was in a storm just like we had or even a little worse. Ice was everywhere. So much so that when they got to the cemetery... They couldn't, get the her- they couldn't get it up the hill, the hearse up the hill. So people just literally, hey, I'm going to go over here because I've got. I am not stopping. I'm simply moving here. So everybody shift gaze. All right. Um, but uh, they, they literally had to get the pallbearers to take the, the coffin up that hill. And so they got, Martin said, about halfway and one of the guys slipped on ice and fell. And when people scrambled to get him up, they dropped the coffin and it slid out from under them. It followed that road all the way down the hill. And as Martin said, there was just a small gate, you know, where just enough for one car to come through. It made the gate and went out through traffic, went across the street, and it just so happened that somebody was opening the door to the pharmacy across the street. The coffin went through the door, through the pharmacy, hit where uh, uh, the, the, uh, the person at the counter was, hit that counter. The coffin popped up. The body came out and says, do you have anything to stop this coffin? So anyway... Martin lied in that story. We can tend to stretch the truth, bend the truth for our advantage. As we look at the resurrection, we ought to be encouraged that we can trust every word that the word says. We can trust every word that Jesus said. 
When he says some hard things about family, you can still bank on it. When he says hard things about money, you still bank on it. When he says hard things about, you could just name whatever that is, our fears, our loves, our words, whatever it is, you trust his word on that. Because according to the scriptures, all those prophecies, they came to fulfillment. My word doesn't always come to fulfillment. And by the way, that's the second thing. If God has kept his word, and I'm a God follower and a Christ follower, and that's, that's what partly Lent is, us following Jesus to his cross and resurrection, then I need to be a person of my word. A great response in Lent is for me and for you to be faithful in keeping our word, especially in a world where everybody is critical of Christians as hypocrites. Everybody's critical. That they don't, they don't do what they say. They don't live as they say. So when you and I will keep our word and be careful with our word, what a testimony that can be that we are people who follow Christ because he is the word and he keeps his word. I've told you this story once before. I won't tell it again. I've made a note in my, in my notes. I won't share it again. But I just love the story my in-laws tell of the professor at Columbia uh, Bible College and I think seminary too in, uh, over in the Atlanta area. The understanding is that this particular president was a man not just of great leadership for that seminary and drew all kinds of people to the seminary and had great influence in shaping and forming pastors and missionaries, but this was somebody who was in that denomination, in that movement, was world-renowned. This was somebody who would be an evangelist and go not just all over the country, but all over the world lifting up the gospel of Christ. And it came to be that later in life, but well before retirement, his wife got ill and was homebound. And so he stepped back from his responsibilities. He stepped back from traveling, stepped back even from being president to go and to care for her. So this powerful man in the kingdom is now bathing his wife, brushing her hair, and doing her nails. And so some people in that particular denomination sent some leaders to him. And literally pulled him aside at his home and said, listen, you matter so much to the kingdom. We have resources. You have resources. Let some people come and care for your wife. We need you at the seminary. And we need you continuing to preach and do kingdom work. And he simply just said one thing to him. In sickness and in health. I made a vow, gentlemen. I, may, I, I gave my word to her. And he didn't go back. He didn't go back. He kept his word. Forty plus years before that moment, he had said before God and before a company of witnesses, in sickness and in health. One of the great gifts we will give each other in our friendships, in our marriages, to our children, to our co-workers, to our friends, and to a world that doesn't trust a Christian as far as they can throw them is to be people of our word. According to the scriptures, it was done. And lastly, this is also a reminder to us um, about not just keeping our word, but the importance of keeping the word. As, as we look at what Christ did, he only did what the scriptures said that were happen, would happen. Those, now again, he is the word who through the spirit breathes the word, I know that. But everything he did was found in the word. And when you get to John's gospel, the words, again, you hear him speaking are the words of his 
Father. His life, again, was the Word. And so whatever the Word says, I want that Word to be my life. You and I are going to bump into family members and friends who are going to be who are going to have wonderful intentions when they say, hey, do this in your parenting. Do this in your play. Do this in how you work to get ahead. And some of it may sound good. We don't want good. We don't want better. We want the word. I want how I do family to match what the word says about that. I want how I spend and how I play and how I speak and how I treat those on the outside and and how I, whatever that may be, it's got to match the word. Jesus' whole life was consumed by keeping the word. Lent is a a great opportunity for us, church, that as we go through this season, not just to, not just to rightly say, I repent of what I have done, I want to be prepared in my heart for what you are going to share about yourself. Yes. But at the same time, to just watch his life. This one who was on a journey now to the cross. That servant life, that pure life, that life that follows every word of the scriptures, I want that life. I don't want people to say, Barry is good. I don't want to say Billy is good or Bob is good. When they bump into me, it ought to be a confrontation. Why does it look like that? Oh, that's because it's in the Word. So maybe this is, could be a great season. As we think about whatever that area is, in your work life, in your relationships with others, uh, in your own marriage, or, or in a rela- whatever that may be, uh, how is it my life may not match what the Word has said about those things? Because I want my life, just as Jesus' life perfectly did, I want it to match his life. That's what we're doing in these weeks together. Just looking, yes, at the cross, but also the resurrection. Why did Jesus have to rise? Because he said he would. And and whatever that area is where you're struggling to trust him, trust him because he has perfectly kept his word. Wherever, Wherever you, in our culture, where everybody cheats, everybody fudges the line, everybody bends the truth, how is it you and I can be people who keep our word and whose lives match the word of God. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this time together to begin this new season, to look in our hearts and to see where we have missed uh, your word, where where we have failed in our response to the Christ. We pray that this would be a time of of repentance and, and reflection. But also, Father, uh, to, be, to be mindful of the good news that, that Jesus Christ is alive and that things can be different. That he went to the cross, yes, to pay a price for us, but through his resurrection, we not only have hope of an eternity with you, but that we can have life and resurrection power now. So, Father, bless us now as we respond to this, your word, that we would fully trust what you have said, that people would be able to trust what we've said, and that our lives, that our lives would match your word, and it would make a difference to those around us. Thank you for this, your word. Now bless our response to it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.